What the mainstream media won't do, though, Corey, is connect those dots, is say, hey, look at all these teachers unions that Corey and Bob just showed us that are not showing up to school. And look at all these low-income parents who are most affected by the closure of in-person education. Gee, I wonder if the teachers unions are being irresponsible by hurting these low-income because they're telling both stories. They're just not connecting the no, two stories No, together. Bob, no, you got it all wrong. It's, it's the uh, parents that are seeking out pandemic pods. They're causing all the problems because of inequities. Right. Hello everyone, welcome to Random Assignment. I'm Bob Bowden, that's Corey DeAngelis, and we bring good news to the hardcore Random Assignment fans whose plaintiff, whose plaintiff cries bespoke the near-unsurvivable misery of a week off last week oh. with no Random Assignment episode to guide them through the confounding oh. labyrinth of education noise dominating education signal. Well, we are back like returning triumphant soldiers. And speaking of battle... The reason we were off last week is one Dr. DeAngelis went to a form of battle, really. Would you say that's true, Corey? Yeah, form, yeah, it was a super awesome battle, a Soho Forum debate, and we'll uh, get into clips into uh, about, we'll about that debate clip, later. Yeah. We've both uh, participated in Soho, Soho Forum debates yes. now. It's pretty cool. I and know. we're both on the Random Assignment podcast. I mean, we have tons of stories today about teachers' unions fighting kicking and screaming so that they don't have to go to, back to work. They're essentially yes, the, saying, hell no. Yes. Um, I was up, hey, just a personal story. I was up until like two in the morning last night because I was listening to a school board meeting because that's you know how democracy works, right? You listen to these school board meetings and that's where the magic happens. That's how you know public schools are supposed to work. It's because everybody listens to each other and they get together and they make the right decisions for everyone, right? Um, <laughs> They voted uh, a week after voting to reopen the schools. They turned around last night at around 3.30 in the morning. I didn't stay up the whole time. I couldn't wait any longer. I was like, okay, I'm going to bed. 3.30 in the morning, they voted 5-4 to push back the reopening of schools in person in Fort Worth, ISD, Texas. That was two, that 10-hour meeting. Yes, we we had that. Uh, we came across that story at Choice Media. Uh, I was like, 10-hour meeting? Wow. Who yeah, I was part of it there? too. For well, I sat, I sat oh. there for a little bit last night, but you know, I mean, the whole ten hours. Who sits there no, for ten no, hours? Like, absolutely yeah, absolutely not, absolutely not. I was just like, yeah. it was like well, one, two in the morning. To, I was, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I wanted to just give a cautionary tale, which has actually no relevance to anything. But I thought I lost my keys today, and I was like. I'm like, you know, I better put a if found call this number. I turns out I found my keys. But can you guys imagine what a life disaster that would be? Like, I don't know why none of us have like on our phones, right? There's all kinds of apps that'll lead you within three feet to your phone or your laptop or all kinds. But the keys, oh my goodness, I need some sort of identifier on the keys. We probably all do, you know, lest uh, I go on a bike ride sometime and my keys pop out of my you know, pocket or something, but that's what I thought happened. Anyway, except for, except for me, Bob, I, I don't have my keys by me, so I can't show people. But it's essentially just one key because I don't have a car. I'm here in the middle of oh, DC, okay. and I don't have to drive pretty much anywhere except for oh, go okay. to the airport or something, and then I could just take the metro. But uh, so yeah. it's a real different change of pace than when I was living in Texas and Arkansas. Yeah. Everything was so spread out. You needed a car. I'll just I'll just <laughs> confess. I got the car. I got the motorcycle. I got the mo I got the keys for the motorcycle saddlebags. I got the motors. I got the helmet lock key. I got I got all kinds of stuff like that. So anyway, but that yeah, but we digress. Um, all right. So the title is "Hell No." Unions say "Hell No" on reopening schools, and what do we got, Corey? Doesn't matter what the parents say, right? It's all about what the unions <laughs> want. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, just what I first talked about was. Fort Worth ISD voting 5-4 just a week after deciding to reopen. They changed their mind after pressure from the unions and decided to push their opening back two more weeks. But we have other places too, New York City. And this one was crazy because New York City had already, and look at all the little videos and ads popping up at the bottom, oh, yeah. but New York City had already pushed back their reopening of schools a couple of times already. I, I had thought it was only the second time that they decided to push it back. But someone told me that this was actually the third time 
that Mayor Bill de Blasio pushed back the reopening of schools. It was supposed to open this Monday, uh, September 21st, but yeah. uh, just a couple you know days before that, um, de Blasio had a press conference and everybody freaked out because uh, he just keeps kicking the can, can down the road. Yeah. Um, and you know, instead yeah. of just supermarkets telling safe, drugstores safe, uh, we'll go to restaurants, <laughs> even indoors in restaurants at 20, 25% of New York city now deemed safe. But uh, all yeah, these places day, are now safe. Yeah. Daycares are safe too, apparently. Right. Um, daycares <laughs> are safe, right. but if you're doing the learning part, then, oh, you better, you better watch out and you better right. make that illegal. Well, um, no worthy with New York city, the mayor announcing the decision alongside the head of the union, the union leader standing there, and this is Michael Mulgrew, president of the United Federation of Teachers, which is the New York City version of the AFT union, who said, quote, if we're going to do this, we must make sure that we get this right. We want our school systems up, running, and safe. We want to keep it up and running and safe because that's what families and the children of the city deserve anyway. The fact is, it's almost like the unions are partly managing, like a management decision from the mayor about the school's is delivered with the union stand mm -hmm. guys, the president, union boss, standing there because he's kind of the de facto manager. Yeah, and I wish I had the video of that. I posted a couple on Twitter um, just this past week, and it was literally two union representatives, union bosses, and then B de Blasio in the middle of them too, the right. two of them. And whenever de Blasio was taking questions, sometimes he would just go like this. <laughs> right. Yeah, do you, do you guys – they were socially distant, yeah. right? They're like 10 feet apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, that's I don't funny. Know the answer to this, you guys answer. That's and one funny. of the questions was funny because the person asked, like, "Hey, you settled with the a deal with the unions, forty five hundred new employees, which is a lot of money for taxpayers. It's very good for unions. Obviously, they get more union dues and more employees and political power." Yeah. And um, they said, "You know, is this going to be the number, or are you just going to, you know, keep caving to the unions essentially?" And De Blasio uh, started with a long answer, uh, pretty much saying, "Like, you know what? We all came together yesterday. We sat together at the yeah. table." We looked at each other and we opened the books and we found that this was the, the number that we were going to settle on. So I, I feel good about that number. And then like two seconds later, one of the union bosses, the administrator's uh, union boss, he said, yeah, 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 that sounds good and all. But, you know, that's just for elementary schools, by the way. When we get to middle schools and high schools, we're going to re reassess that 4,500 number. So even oh, right after de Blasio kind of put it, stuck his neck out and said like, yeah, I think we're good with this number. The union was like, nope. We're we're just getting started. Forty five hundred is just the beginning of this. And, and the funny keep, thing is, is fighting. those kinds of optics that you and I consider, well, this is like terrible PR for it to look like the unions own the mayor, like they're pushing endless spending increases and the mayor's almost powerless to stand in the way of any of them. Like you and I would think, oh, this is why don't they do this quietly in a back room somewhere with cigars? Like they're doing this out in the open. This is horrible optics. They Love those optics. They actually, they're rank and file. I mean, not all the rank and file, of course, but some of their rank and file and some of their, you know, most strident supporters, but mostly the union leadership thinks those optics are great. Let's show how much power we have all the time. Let's show our powers unlimited. Let's show the taxpayer they have no chance to stand up against us ever for any, we could just endlessly raise spending forever without hey, any kind of you know limitation I mean, and that's just great i mean that reminds me of that union official um from the nea like a decade ago had that video saying you know we don't we don't get things done because we have great ideas we don't get things done because you know we care about our students it's because we have power i don't want, yeah. remember what that guy's name was Ch yeah, chapman neither, or something but i know yeah starts with a c i think it was about um, 10 years ago, yeah. Yeah, 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all about power for them. And yeah, if this optics is showing that they have power over the mayor, that's a good thing. And, you know, for their members, the members might see more confidence in the union. So that's, uh, it might right. make sense for them to do that. But look, there's other places too. Kenosha, I mean, that's been in the news lately, but Kenosha School District is in the news again a couple of days ago. Sunday night, the school sent an email to all the parents, uh, seven different schools in Kenosha School District in Wisconsin, about 10.30 p.m., hours before the, the families were supposed to send their children to schools, telling them, well, you know what? We're not opening in person, actually, because we're having uh, a surge in employee absences. Yeah. Was Don't the, you love the how like, it, it, 
Yeah, like it, like that that headline says surge of absences. What it means is surge of teacher absences. Yeah, but it was, they, they it was don't teachers. write it yeah. that way. They make it imply yep. that it's like also like students or something. Normally, yeah. you think of absent at school, you think of students. Yeah, look here's absent. the quote. Here's the yeah. quote here too from the from the um, uh, letter from the district. It was quote due to a surge of employee absences, but then you read a little late longer and you and you go into like some more news reporting on this. It was actually two hundred and seventy six teacher absences. There right. were other employee absences, but the bulk of them that are right. being reported are Why teacher the head, absences. The headline they, is don't wanna, they don't want to. They don't want to call that exactly. Even the even Fox, even the Fox affiliate there, at least in a way the affiliate obscuring that. Uh, but we can go to we can also go to uh, to Florida. Where is the story there? Yeah, about the uh, I think it's Palm Beach County Schools, where they found that um, nine hundred teachers uh, stayed home. Yeah, um, is that the one you got up there? Yeah, so nine hundred and forty-four called out uh, for work because you know they were sick or whatever it was. Yeah, right, nine hundred and forty-four yeah. teachers on Monday. On Tuesday, nine hundred. It says nearly nine hundred school teachers called out Palm Beach County. Uh, public schools. What's interesting is that Palm Beach County Public Schools, we've reported on this podcast before, are seeing a, an enrollment decline of about, I think it was like three to five percent, or maybe it was one of the districts that was actually up to nine percent from right from now. I'm why nine percent? Uh, imagine a story about <laughs> nurses during the middle of the pandemic where they all called out sick. Or a story about police officers, maybe when some of these big protests were starting to happen and some riots were starting to happen, where they all en masse called out sick. Look, what would the, would the public think? Oh, that's great. It's the, you know the nurses and doctors that are all just missing during COVID. They're just protecting themselves. That's fine. Or yeah, we shouldn't apply- put their lives in danger. We shouldn't, you know, um, rely on them for these things. And, I mean, we didn't see this from grocery store workers either. We didn't no, see this from private school employees. I'm, I'm focused on how the public would react. I'm, I'm focused on what I perceive as a different public reaction to this than the public would have for any of these other professions that are deemed essential. And basically, are, t- are the teachers' unions just conveying that they're not essential and we're all fine with that? I mean, uh, anyway, so... Uh, well, I yeah, mean, that's, so th- that's that's formal, right? The liquor stores were deemed essential, but the schools weren't deemed essential. Stores, so that, yeah. that's a formal kind of classification there. But yeah, I mean, this is and uh, Louisiana. Do you see the Louisiana yep. one? This is happening so this in Louisiana, is parish, too. Uh, which is a county, of course, in Louisiana. But Livingston Parish. Uh, look at that. Um, 1,590 1, public school teachers want their members to stay home. That's today. We don't actually have the update on whether they did it today. Yeah. But this is uh, this is basically the unions calling for a sick out. So to what do I mean, this is for kids, really? This is to protect kids? Were they calling for the nurses to stay home at Livingston Parish, uh, Louisiana? Uh, we're just kind of no. seeing this all over. And South Carolina so. as well. There's ads popping up, but you get the idea, right? It's happening everywhere. Teachers are walking out. And I wouldn't even have, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have a problem with it either, Bob. If, if, if you could take your money elsewhere, go ahead and do a sick out. You don't get paid though. I can, yeah, I should be right. able to take my money somewhere else. If the grocery store workers did a sick out, I can go to a different grocery store, but they right. don't because they know that. Right. All right. So meanwhile, so while all this is happening, it's kind of an interesting uh, thing to think about the way the media is handling it, because on the one hand, the media is creating almost a sense of sympathy or excuses for the teachers who don't show up, like it's kind of an act of uh, empowerment of some kind. But meanwhile, they're also conveying an opposite narrative, which is an ABC News report that just, uh, I think, ran yesterday that showed that the closure of in-person schooling hurts the low-income students the most. Mm-hmm. And so let's show that ABC report. What about children at home who don't have access to computers and Wi-Fi? ABC's Adrian Bankert on the challenges facing so many families. Tonight, with New York City public schools reopening virtually, including some in-person classes, parents across the country are sharing with us just how tough remote learning can be, despite attempts to bridge the digital divide. From Texas, trying to figure out how to manage three kids who are doing virtual learning on different schedules. To Missouri, how do you feel about learning at home instead of at school? I feel kind of sad about it. To rural California, 
the internet connection stops so it kicks her out and it starts again and then stops again so she doesn't get the whole class like she should of the 50 million public school students learning remotely due to the pandemic 15 to 16 million lack internet or devices to learn effectively and 9 million don't have any access children of color and those in rural communities are particularly impacted since we spoke to them in May, Eastside House Settlement has given out hundreds of tablets and Wi-Fi hotspots to Bronx students, but it's only the start. Just because we handed the student a tablet and gave them the Wi-Fi, it doesn't make them more academically ready. And across the U.S., parents told us that even with Internet access and devices, there's so much stress. In the Bronx, Fatima Mustafa's kindergartner, Zarar, has autism and ADHD. He'll return to class next week. She said the lack of socialization and virtual learning has caused him distress and meltdowns at home. I'm hoping he starts going back to normal again know and learn his friends again. Yeah. That's one of the other reasons, the social aspect of it. Devin Conley, a trustee of a school district in Mountain View, California, says even in tech-rich Silicon Valley, 32% of students are low income. I personally know a family that is paying $150 a month for internet access for four children to do online learning, but they can't afford food. We can do better than that. We have to do better than that. Now, there are a number of nonprofits and corporations working all over the country to help kids get online and to learn. And parents and teachers can find a list of those resources on our homepage. What the mainstream media won't do, though, Corey, is connect those dots, is say, hey, look at all these teachers unions that Corey and Bob just showed us that are not showing up to school. And look at all these low-income parents who are most affected by the closure of in-person education. Gee, I wonder if the teachers' unions are being irresponsible <laughs> by hurting these low-income because they're telling both stories. They're just not connecting the no, two stories no, together. No, Bob, no, you got it all wrong. It's, it's the uh, parents that are seeking out pandemic pods. They're causing all the problems because of inequities. Right. Right. Instead of looking but, right, at the so, schools, instead of looking at the schools and saying, well, maybe if the schools didn't close, we wouldn't have these inequity problems to begin with. Well, we still yeah. would because the public schools are, are unequal, but it's getting worse because uh, the schools aren't even reopening and people who don't have the means to afford alternatives are that's that's right. influencing them more than anybody else. And I think, yeah, that's, that's so the they problem. Won't, they'll tell the story that school closure really hurts low income people, but they won't say, gee, I wonder why this. Uh, parish in Louisiana schools are closed. And I wonder why the Palm County, Florida schools are closed. And I wonder why New York City, I wonder why all these Kenosha and all these places, I wonder why the schools are closed. I wonder if there's something to do with the union saying don't show up. Anyway, you get the idea. Well, it's um, because we get your money either way. Why would we show up? All right. So, but, but then, well, did you go see ahead. This, well, did you see this uh, news, news national survey? 59% of teens uh, report that online learning is worse than in-person oh. learning. This is from uh, Common Sense Media. I don't know if I put this on the thing, but this kind of reminded me that um, this new survey came out. And here's the breakdown. Um, the teens were saying that 59% uh, pretty much said that online learning was worse. 19%, uh, only a third of, of that percentage um, said right. that they thought that the online learning was better. Someone pointed out that, well, there's variation. But uh, yeah, I mean, online learning could work for certain locations and some schools that they're doing it right. And that reminds me of your video with the uh, the piano player. Exactly. Uh, just because you think it's online learning, it could be the, the toddler banging on the keyboard. But then uh, you have a story about about all of this debate about we're not we're not showing up at school. We're not showing we're not going to go. Hell no, we're not going to go. The union saying, hell no, we're not going to show up. COVID has not become a thing in reopened schools. Yeah, I mean, this just came out in Washington Post. I was uh, uh, pretty shocked that uh, this information came out, but they were looking at uh, data that just came out from Brown University. I'm trying to open the thing really quickly without getting too many ads. Doesn't look like an ad showing up this time, but here's the headline. Okay. Feared coronavirus outbreaks in schools yet to arrive, early data show. And it goes through and kind of cites these data and showing it's just showing that uh, in different schools across the country, the rates are much lower than they expected. For example, uh, looking only at confirmed cases, the rates were about 0.078% for students and 0.15% of COVID cases for teachers. And they even asked like okay. members from the unions what they thought about this. And one a uh, union member from Texas kind of pointed out that, uh, you know, oh, here it is from the American Federation of Teachers 
in Texas, I am not seeing at this particular point the rate that I had expected. And this is kind of the main thrust of the story that there was all this kind of um, fear mongering, or I guess just concern, legitimate or not, about uh, coronavirus cases going on in the schools. Yeah. And the new data are showing that while the fears weren't, you know, um, uh, right. Uh, yeah, they weren't just. They weren't born out. They weren't seen yeah. in, in uh, yes, in, in in reality. Well, of course, they're at the same time. While many are complaining, many of the unions are complaining about this issue of showing up or not showing up. They're they are protesting other things too besides in person schools. And so, and this is the South Carolina story. I think you showed it for a second ago, but it's public school teachers across South Carolina planning to take this this day off from work to protest their temporary suspension of salary increases. That's what uh, they're protesting. They're going to actually not show up. This is what you do. I didn't know about have, this one. <laughs> yeah, when you have no fear of being replaced, right? Because there's just no way to replace you in South Carolina. So what do you do? Ask for more you, money. You basically say this is the 10,000-strong group, the teacher advocacy group, SC4ED, and they're the ones that organized a big strike last year. They're urging educators to use a personal day and stay home from school. Who cares if the kids learn? Whatever. To raise awareness of the issues teachers are facing with schools reopening during the global pandemic. But they're also mainly, it's called Stand Up and Step Out. And they are uh, they're protesting what the group calls a wildly disappointing move by the South Carolina House not mm. to pass a state budget, et cetera. And it basically boils down to... Well, this quote, I love this quote. We're not just we're not just fighting about salaries. We're fighting about fully funding education, <laughs> which of course can never happen, and adding funds to the base student cost. This isn't just about teacher salary. It's about doing what's right for education. Oh, right, really? Okay, so fully funding, as we know, always I, I've defined it. I was the first person, I think to define fully funded uh, public education as the way they use it. It means five to 10% more than is being spent right now. That's the definition yeah. of fully so funding. They education. never give you, they give you, never give you a number because they know that that'll be used against them in the future. Where well, once they reach that number. Yeah, today's number times 1.1. 1 .1. That's yeah, it has what to be the number always is. higher. Yeah. And then I when, mean, that, when, tomorrow, then it'll be tomorrow's number times 1.1. 1 .1. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting that, that they say we're not fighting about money, but we're fighting about money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're not yeah. fighting just about money, salaries, but we're fighting about fully funding. We're fighting. Yeah, we are fighting. All right. About money. <laughs> All right. So we've done some deep dives. So let's talk about this macro. There was a there was a survey, right? Yeah. Big survey. Came and, and real quick on South Carolina, do you know if they're if, if they're reopening in person? At, at this particular school district, I, I mean, uh, well, it's probably not all. Of day, yeah, if they're taking a day off, uh, the statewide, I guess that means they're yeah. open, unless they're taking a day off of uh, online learning. But um, this is a stand up and step out teacher walkout. So, yeah. I mean, it's a statewide thing. Maybe, so it could be maybe a it's a hybrid district. type thing. I don't know, um, yeah. but yeah, it's probably different by district. But here's a new uh, poll that just came out today. It's a nationally represent a national survey from real clear opinion research of over 2000 registered voters. The big takeaway here that I thought was really interesting is that there's a 10 percentage point jump in the proportion of families who say that they support school choice among parents who have children in the public school system. It went from 67% in April, all the way up to 77% uh, in this August survey wow. for supporting school choice. And I mean, this makes sense, right? The the families with children in public schools are getting the short end of the stick right now. Um, I just saw the headline on that. I didn't realize what you just said. You're saying this yeah, that's is the not biggest takeaway. surveying all like existing homeschoolers uh, added to existing private schoolers added to existing charter school families. You're saying these are, these are at least some of their kids are in public school. Yeah, they did a survey for everyone, but kind of the major finding here is that yeah. if you look at the parents with kids in public schools, uh, there's a huge jump. I mean, usually they they I would think that they'd be less likely to support school choice because you know they've they've chosen public schools for their kids or or what have you relative yeah. to people who have already chosen to escape the public school system might like it more, but. Um, I mean, this makes sense to me to see that there's a huge jump with the the parents of kids in public schools because the public schools aren't reopening for their kids and they want alternatives. And so that's what we're seeing here, a 67 to 77 percent 
uh, ten percentage point jump. And it's also look. It's also real clear politics. So it's a it's they did the polls. So I mean, it actually agrees with when school choice groups do these polls. They're kind of get similar numbers, but you know that the opposition will dismiss uh, numbers of a poll mm-hmm. are much more like you know from from a, a school choice group if they're connected with it. This is, does not have that problem. This is an yep. real clear politics. Yeah. So. Yep, and that's good. I mean, American Federation for Children is obviously pro school choice, but they did this had this third third party do the survey, and and so real clear opinion, yeah, as a, a unbiased you know third party doing this poll. So yeah, it's a uh, super interesting. I mean, it's going crazy making its rounds on Twitter that that one finding. But yeah, I mean, other than that, it's like generally strong support for school choice overall. I think the overall average was seventy three percent support of school choice. So a clear majority of families supporting school choice. And that goes, you know, um, uh, you know, to high support among different races as well. Um, yeah. so yes, yeah, I'd recommend going and checking that out. And I mean, this is, uh, this kind of goes along with the exodus that we're seeing from the public schools. And I don't know if we put much of that into the program today, but yeah, families are leaving the public school system and they're also yeah. demanding their children's today- education dollars. I saw today uh, that the school district of Richardson, Texas, which is a Dallas-Fort Worth area district, but Richardson, Texas, has over two thousand fewer students this year than last year. I mean, like I was like, really, really? It's actually I, I ran there. It's like five and a third percent drop. Oh, that, from last and that's year. that's what yeah. we're seeing everywhere. Like every everywhere yeah. that the data are coming out, I've seen up to nine. I think that was that Palm Beach County public school overall. But then you know you're reporting that five percent drop and. The low, the smallest drop that I've seen, and usually you'd expect enrollment increases because of population increase, but everywhere that I've seen numbers come out, it's been a drop. And the smallest one was Fairfax County Public Schools, and that was you know a few weeks ago, which was one point six or something percent yeah. drop, which is still you'd, you'd a substantial expect, drop. Yeah, in places where population is increasing, like Texas. In other words, uh, places like New York City, where everyone's leaving, <laughs> like, maybe right, some of that drop anyway. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, Corey. There's an election happening. What? Yeah, it's going to be in November. What? Yeah, it's like November third. That's like a couple of. Yeah. that's like less than two months from now. Right. So, uh, and just yesterday, we, I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't. But I mean, I, I I had detailed conversations with two different people who I know very well who had exact opposite predictions of what's going to happen. One thought there would be a strong Biden win. The other thought because convinced there would be a strong Trump win. Anyway. Um, who knows? And all these ballots seem like I'm like, oh, what a great time to have a brand new mail in ballot. Like there's not been enough riots already in 2020. Let's have a brand new way to elect people just in case there haven't been enough riots. Let's enforce this change right now. What a perfect time to uh, push this. Anyway, that said, so Donald Trump is campaigning and uh, Joe Biden is sort of campaigning and um President Trump has been uh, incorporating two messages into most of his speeches, both that of school choice and of indoctrination. And we have one of those clips. He wants to indoctrinate your children with poisonous anti-American lies in education. To combat the toxic left-wing propaganda in our schools, I am launching a new pro-American lesson plan for students called 1776 Commission. It's already done. That's good. It's true. Your kids come home and they tell you things. How many of you, the kids come home, they tell you things? It's a disgrace. What they're teaching them is a disgrace. We're ending it. In fact, we're taking we're taking school funds away from these these crazy schools that are teaching horrible things, bad things, actually. We will teach our children the truth about America, that we are the most exceptional nation on the face of the earth, and we are getting better every single day. And no party can lead America that will not teach our children to love America. No party can do that. Okay, so that's uh, going on. Meanwhile, we have... Uh, go ahead, Corey. You want me to respond to the video really quickly? Sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I think it's interesting that he's using the bully pulpit to talk about uh, indoctrination in schools, but I, I would like for him to pivot and instead say, instead of, oh, we're going to pull funding from these schools, there's another way to pull funding from schools that are indoctrinating your kids, which is school choice. You can just vote with your feet to the schools that are not indoctrinating your kids in, un, you know, in super biased ways or in ways that, that you don't agree with. Um, so yeah. I, I actually didn't catch that the first time where he was saying that he was going to actually pull funding. I thought it was more of just kind of, he's just talking about it and he's just using the bully pulpit, but now it's, and maybe he's not serious about pulling funding from schools uh, that are using 1619 project or whatever it is. But um, yeah, it's, it, I'm interested to see what he actually means yeah, by I mean, that. There was some Hopefully pushback it's on school choice, but. Yeah, there was some pushback on Twitter on this of people saying, oh, so he now, now, you know, well, I thought the narrative was decreasing federal role in education. Now, suddenly we have the president, you know, saying instead of this indoctrination, it'll be this other indoctrination. Anyway, that's that's one well, if way you pull to take fund, it. If you pull funds from all the schools, then that is decreasing the role of, of the, you know, so maybe that's every school point. should, every school should implement 1619 project. <laughs> that's how we can get rid of federal funding and education. Right. Maybe the, the we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about 1619 later in the show, but, uh, but then also Jill Biden, uh, Dr. Jill Biden and school teacher, Jill Biden was also talking about um, education. And here's what she had to say. Hey, Bob, is she a doctor, medical doctor? I doubt it. No, I don't it's know. A, it's an education. It's an education doctor. It's not even a PhD. But. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people think like she's a medical doctor because everybody calls her doctor. I, I actually doctor. don't. Use, it's like, in her Twitter handle too. I think. I just said it. Like whenever I write it, this is a pet peeve of mine, by the way, just for a pointless digression. But I, I never write when I'm writing. I never write doctor, whatever. I, I I'll, I'll always say comma PhD, comma MD, comma DDS. I, like I want to put the actual letters after the name. But anyway, so. All right, let's check out what she has to say. Yeah, Joe. He's ready to get to work making our schools safe and equitable for all children on day one. He knows that schools are going to need funds to help keep staff and students safe with protective gear. And they're going to need help making sure classrooms can, you know, physically distance and make sure that students have access to broadband and other technology if we continue to rely on remote learning. Both students and educators are going to need more mental health support to deal with the trauma of this pandemic. And going forward, we're going to have to make big changes to the status quo because this crisis has shined a bright light on the systemic inequities in our education system. We need to identify best practices to address these gaps and provide funding to implement them. And when Joe is president, he and Vice President Kamala Harris are going to make sure that we do all those things. Interesting. We're going to do all those things. Yeah, we're going to do all those things. Funding, funding, funding. You know, And yes, I think it probably has shined a light on inequalities but the idea that like throwing more money like as you point out you know, like to point out we have decade after decade after decade oh that's gonna fix it right just keep doing more of the same it's not gonna anyway. change the incentives built into the system you're still gonna have the inequities and what's interesting is like a lot of the things that she said can be applied and say and you we could like nod our head and say okay well then do school choice she says there's a lot of systemic inequities in the current public school system you're right let people leave that in the unequal system let people have access to alternatives and um, yeah, it seems like though she's just calling for more money. And she said, yeah, we got to get, get away from the status quo. You're right. But the status quo is this system that we've been trying decade after decade of just throwing more money at the problem. And it just hasn't led to better outcomes for students overall or for um, more, more equity in, in the school system. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. All right. So we already mentioned uh, we mentioned the 1619 project already uh, with the Trump soundbite. And we also mentioned the real clear politics, by the way, uh, poll. But anyway, that's but so, yeah. So there's more in Black Lives Matter, right? Yes. Yeah, so let me pull up that uh, latest from the Daily Caller. Uh, yeah. So public schools are, uh, you know, uh, promoting Black Lives Matter across the country, uh, organizing protests. And, um, you know, we already had like five school districts before all of this um, that had formally introduced 
um, the sixteen nineteen project into their curriculum. But I think uh, recent events in the past couple of months has really uh, lit a fire to that and has has increased that in schools. And then also with like the virtual learning uh, environment has really allowed families to see what's going on in their schools. And uh, so they're, they're seeing a lot of this um, type of curriculum in, in their public yeah, schools. If I could just and, interject, the 1619 Project also had this major thing just happen uh, in the last 48 hours where they the New York Times quietly changed the entire premise of the 69 project 1619 project it had been written that uh that in fact the real true founding of america was in the year 1619 because that was the first year chattel slavery began on this continent and they changed the language after the woman who had written it defended it everywhere and then denied having written it they the new york times i can't believe that the new york times did this yeah. It has barely been covered by traditional media, by the way. But the New York Times quietly York changed the whole thing. Yeah, so yeah. I think originally she one of one one of her claims, and this is Nicole Hannah Jones, one of the um leaders of the project, and she had she had made the claim something like uh, you know, 1619 is you know is our true founding, and she reiterated that on Twitter, which yes. people have, you know kindly screenshotted to remind her that she said that. And Phil yes. Magnus, he's at American Institute for uh, uh, Economic Research, AIER, has uh, documented how the, um, the, uh, the, the New York Times website changed, where they originally said that we uh, argue that the true founding is 1619. They changed the language, I think. But they in didn't my, admit the, it with a correction, the way the way no, in journal, they, uh, if you go to journalism school, you'll say correction, like it's supposed to be transparent. It was a but stealth But the New York edit. Times, right, it's like, it's as if they're, they're sneakily creeping around to kind of like quietly back out of this commitment that they gave to a, what has now basically been denied by everybody as, as what had been a false statement, has been basically bad history that history had been promulgated mm -hmm. by the times and yeah so anyway so so that go ahead i'm sorry go ahead yeah and i mean this kind of reminds me of how like when all of the reopening debates kind of started uh make you know making making its waves you had a lot of teachers unions calling to defund the police you had all these political things going on uh with the reopening of schools but like uh, Daily Caller notes, you know, Buffalo Public Schools had already in incorporated Black Lives Matter or at least 1619 Project into its curriculum. I think D.C. public schools were doing the same thing and three Milwaukee other school districts. public schools. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Portland, Oregon, uh, at least some of their public schools. Um, the president of the UTLA, the Teachers Union in Los Angeles, had been talking about it. Um, and, and yes, it basically... They found schools across the country that had officially done this integrated Black Lives Matter curriculum. Um, and so we actually just just today, actually, this is breaking news. I need my breaking news. Uh, uh oh, but we have a we just published a choice media. We just published a commentary about this from a parent who lives in East L.A. If you could pull that up there. There he is. Right. That's him. And so what he writes about, he actually screenshotted the content that Kip, the charter school, for he first talks about the fact that Kip quietly dropped their motto. I think we talked about mm -hmm. that on this podcast. They had said they had used a motto, very popular, revered motto called uh, work hard, be nice. And Kip came out saying basically that was racist and they dropped it. This is now a quote from the Black Lives Matter website, what you're seeing there, where they're kind of like saying, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. So like you say the phrase Black Lives Matter, or who's, who, who would argue with that? Well, you, a lot of people can argue with what's on their website, which is against the nuclear family and many other things. And so this being adopted by public school districts across the country has shocked a lot of people. And in fact, now it's in, in, inserted itself into the school choice world, at least in the realm mm -hmm. of the KIPP charter school, one of the largest charter management organizations in the country. And this parent is uh, writing about that on the Choice Media website and gives, you can feel the disgust and revulsion from that parent on, on how, what has infected the culture at the school that he loved. He actually had 
originally been a spokesperson defending why Kip should get a chance to have a building in Los Angeles that there was a fight about at the time. So he was like a pro Kip guy publicly. And now he's seeing this happen. Yeah. Um, and I want to be clear. I mean, I'm one of, I'm one of the biggest advocates for increasing police accountability. I, I, for crying out loud, I have a, a paper called police choice published in a journal called libertarian papers. I'm one of the biggest um, skeptics of the, essentially the geographic monopoly that police have in, in different jurisdictions and how that can lead to unaccountable policing in, in, in certain places. Um, but at the same time, you know, the BLM stuff isn't only about police accountability. Certainly and the, the other problem is that it's, it's about how it's taught in the public schools. And it's also about choice. I mean, I don't want to force people to you know, teach about how I think about police accountability. I don't want to force people to teach in a certain way for, for other people's children in any school environment. So it's not so much about the the particular topic at hand here. It's to me, at least it's more so about choice in the matter that family, right. you know, some families might think this is great, you know, but other families might think that uh, this is a huge problem and that's a but great argument it, for school choice. And he describes, too, a thing you and I would normally say, Corey, oh, well, that's the good thing about choice. You can walk away if you don't like a school's curriculum or you don't like what they're doing. This is the charter sector, after all. And what he writes in the piece is part of parent power is engagement. It's not just always only walking away. Parent power can also mean stay and fight. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's choosing to do. He likes, otherwise likes the KIPP school and likes the teachers, but he's seeing this infiltration. So we have a clip of him talking. Actually, this this tweet video he did uh, had over a half a million views in a very short time. I think, uh, I forgot, a few days or something like that. And oh, so wow. This, and he wrote, he wrote this. Um, okay, I didn't know that you had him uh, writing this at Choice Media. This is super cool. Yeah, I'd seen this video before and saw that it went viral. So I'll, uh, I'll play Matt it. Moss. Greetings, Patriots. My name is Matt Moss. I am in East Los Angeles, California. I'm a conservative. I love my country. I love my president. And I had to bring a very urgent message to you. I'm really asking for help for a lot of you on the conservative side. I wanted to share day four what my daughter is being taught in her school over here in East L.A. You got the anti-fascist. You have the... Black Panther's Power to the People logo or the Chinese CCP communist logo. This is communism. This is Marxism being taught in our schools. This is the fourth day. I don't have a lot of allies out here. Thank God for all of you on Twitter, but I'm begging you, Donald Trump, Scott Pressler, anybody who will listen to me, anyone out there, please seriously help me spread this message around. This is what's being taught in the schools. I actually talked to the principal today. She was a very nice lady. I'm not going to say her name. And she said, Black Lives Matter is working with the school. She told me flat out, the school is working with BLM. This should frighten anyone and everybody. Ridiculous. Please retweet, share at Real Donald Trump, please. I need your help. Please come to East LA. Seriously, you have no idea. This is ridiculous. I'm an open heart surgery survivor, as you guys can see. I, I don't need to be dealing with this. My kids should be going to school and learning about, you know, American history and good things, not dividing the country. This is ridiculous. Please share and retweet. Thank you. All right. I like how you took us off the screen there so you wouldn't, our, yeah, our awkward faces would not be uh, <laughs> stuck there. Uh, all right. So let's move on. So in the state of Illinois, so we have this news, uh, news alert, school districts. Uh, basically should continue teacher evaluations, but there's a little bit of a loophole. That is, if they don't do any teacher evaluations, this is the state of Illinois uh, giving guidance to its districts, they won't be penalized, nothing will happen. Basically, this is the state board you know, saying, oh, we kind of like you to do some evaluations of teachers, but if you do none, that's fine. Yeah. So this uh, woman who is the uh, state superintendent uh, said here, quote, the board decided the agency will not initiate regu regulatory action against districts that don't end up moving forward with summative evaluations this year. And then you have uh, Kathy Griffin, president of the Illinois Education Association, the teachers union, saying, quote, we didn't feel that all school districts or administrators should be expected to eval be evaluated 
to, should be expected to evaluate, it says, in a learning environment that they have not been trained in. We do encourage formative feedback, quote, as long as it's has no teeth. That's just my insertion there. <laughs> Our administrators are welcome to join in their virtual classes and offer guidance and feedback. But she's just saying, of course, they haven't been trained in this. What, you know, do you think all the private schools and all the, just the, basically every industry in America, like, do they have a rule that if you hire somebody and you haven't given them like a training, an official top-down training course, you just can't evaluate the employee? This just would be impossible, right? They're all the same unless we give them training courses first. Anyway, I just wanted to make fun of that a little bit because I think it's just so – it's more the same, but it's so absurd. Yeah, I mean, you could still evaluate them and just, like, make it not, like, Every super high, high stakes or anything. You could just, you know, give them feedback and uh, talk about what they need to improve on. Even if they're not trained on it yet, you can still kind of learn from that interaction. But, uh, you know – If you don't like, – if you can't evaluate them all, what if somebody who just completely phones it in and completely blows off 100 – like, barely does any work at all, but you – you think it's just like, sorry, well, we're not evaluating. We're, uh, you know, we yeah. just are declared there will be no evaluations. So, yeah, I mean, we can I, do I, about it. I mean, yeah, I see your point. But the, you know, the other side of this is like, how valuable are these evaluations anyway? I mean, most of them, they just say, oh, you know, you get a sticker, everybody did a great job. And, you know, the true people to, to be evaluating the teachers should be the families, not the of course. people, the administrators of course. in the system. So give of us choice. Course. All right. All right. North Carolina's next, oh, my friend. This one's interesting. So everybody knows that uh, the governor of North Carolina is a school choice hypocrite, Roy Cooper, strongly against um, school choice, even though he sent his own child to uh, a private school in, in, in his own state. Um, well, it's different. He, it's different. Yeah, you know, it's okay. It's okay for him to do it because he's, you know, he can make those choices. But to, to other families, they're they're not accountable. But they're accountable to his family for some for yeah. some reason. Huh. But uh, yeah, this is what he said, and I, I don't want to mess with getting the video working and, and whatnot. But here's the quote: right. You know, he said um, school choice hurt. You know, the voucher program in North Carolina quote hurts public schools. And uh, you know, my kind of take was, well, well, why would giving families a choice hurt public schools? And I mean, that's a huge admission that uh, families would leave when when given the option to escape the schools that are not serving them. I think you went on to say that it also hurts students. Um, and my question was, you know, why would it hurt students for, you know, giving, giving them a choice? Why would that hurt them? You, you can only answer that by saying that uh, maybe you think they're not going to make the right decisions. And he also said that the private schools are quote unquote, completely unaccountable. My response was, well, yeah, right. Private schools are directly accountable to families, just like they were accountable to his family when he yes. chose to send his his um, uh, child to a private school, which great. I, he I should be able to make these, that choice. I love these double standards where you bring up choice and the initial almost knee jerk instinctive argument on the part of status quo defenders is they will make an argument about accountability that is never applied to the district. They will say, oh, but what if, you know, the school doesn't do a good job and you have vouchers and the kids aren't even learning to read? Do you know how many traditional public schools have single digit reading proficiencies and terrible graduation rates and all kinds of awful metrics, all just absolute awful proficiency data from thousands of schools across the country that has never brought up at all? And yet they seem to think that this is an issue that can be uniquely applied to choice that for some reason doesn't need to be applied to the competition, meaning the district. Here, um, I think I might have it. the sound. School vouchers are wrong. They hurt public schools. They hurt students. School vouchers. Well, that, that's a five-second gem right there. Why are you so concerned about the public schools? But yeah, here's the other part. Many of the schools that people can afford with the the private school voucher are schools that are completely unaccountable. Anyway, yeah. you get the point. That's my, that's just what I was saying. I hear that all the time. And I heard it even on Twitter right before we logged in for the show. Like I heard somebody else writing about that, like uh, say in, in a, a New Jersey related debate about private school choice, someone saying, but they're, they're unaccountable. And you're like, really how accountable well, is What the about those failing public schools? Exactly. Anyway, so let's move on. We have a tape heavy into the show here anyway, but uh -oh. I do sometimes I, I came across a, uh, a, a YouTuber 
who goes by the YouTube channel, The Quieted Life. And she wrote about why she chose to homeschool and what she calls the terrible schools. It's a little long, but I think it's a good clip. So let's take a look. This is a YouTuber known as The Quieted Life. I'm gonna talk about the terrible school system where we were living at the time. My oldest child was in middle school. And I just remember going to pick her up from school and just seeing how the boys would interact with the girls very inappropriately. So they would come out class by class with the teachers. There were even male teachers present, but it just seemed like nobody, male or female teachers, felt the need to correct the inappropriate behavior of these young middle school boys. So that was one incident that just did not sit well with me. Another incident was pretty much the deciding factor in whether or not we would homeschool. One day, our oldest daughter came home and told us, said that someone was throwing a book in class and she got hit in the head with a heavy book. Our younger kids who were in elementary school, they actually saw some things that were very inappropriate as well. One incident, was when a, a younger student had brought a weapon to school. I won't say what it was, but they actually brought a weapon to school and just had it in their backpack. The teacher did not find the weapon, didn't even know that the kid had it all day until it was time for them to go home. So we found out about it when our kids came home and told us about it, but the school did send a letter. But the fact that a young kid made it to school and had with him all day a weapon that could have been used at any time to hurt any of the kids did not sit well with my husband and I. There were so many other things that happened at these schools. So sometimes I think, Corey, you know, you and I will talk about uh, surveys that come out and studies mm -hmm. that come out and things that presidents say and governors say, and we'll talk about what union people say and we'll, t t you know, uh, et cetera. And we sometimes, I think, lose track of what it's really like for some actual parents out there like this one. And that's why I wanted to show that clip. Yeah, that's right. We, um, we were talking about this last week too. We want to uh, include more people in the conversations. That's a great way to, to do it through, through video. Um, should we move right. to the, uh, New Mexico stuff yes, going on? That's next. This, this is pretty crazy. Um, so New Mexico had some weird rules with, uh, reopening schools and they had, uh, unequal rules. They were telling the public schools that they could reopen at 50% capacity. But on the other hand, private schools were limited more stringently to only half of that 25% capacity. And meanwhile, of course, the daycares were able to reopen at 100% of capacity. So what happened in response to this? Uh, the P Department of Justice actually came down and um, did a filed a statement of interest informing uh, New Mexico that what they're doing is unconstitutional according to the uh, Equal Protection Clause of the uh, U.S. Constitution. Uh, because they were provide, you know, they're they're using more stringent regulations of schools. Yeah, and if I could just the say, private the private schools sector. were limited to to twenty five percent capacity for in person instruction, but the daycare facilities could operate at a hundred percent capacity, yep. and the traditional public elementary schools, anyway, were at fifty percent capacity. So why would a traditional public elementary school be allowed to be fifty percent capacity, but for some completely unexplained reason? Only 25% capacity at private schools. Because they're doing so, half the learning. <laughs> they're doing it. That, that's it. That's it. No. Because the daycares are safe because they're not doing the learning. So they can be at 100%, right? Because oh. they're doing zero. I see. The, the private the schools are doing twice do, the learning. So you have to, yes. you, you're more limited. The virus hates learning or, or actually is attracted to learning. The more learning you do, I see, the more separation. I mean, yeah, I don't, anyway, none of this, none of so this stupid. makes any sense. And right. You know, I think and the news is that the feds got involved on the side of the private schools. Yeah. Yeah. So um, why not let them do 50 percent? But then you should take it a step further. If the daycares can be 100 percent, why can't the private schools be 100 percent? I think that's the better avenue to take that you're you're discriminating against 
learning essentially by saying that the learning institutions can only do 25 or 50 versus 100. If, if daycares can do 100, private schools should be allowed to do 100 as you know as long as they're doing it safely and, and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that's that's the news out of New Mexico, and I thought that was a super interesting story. Okay, one quick story from Ohio. You guys are going to wonder why we're even talking about this story. It's but it's just almost funny to me. But Columbus Teachers Union pulls endorsement of board member James Raglan over school choice. Huh? Wait, really? So it turns out that this guy was the director of outreach for School Choice Ohio. He was actually huh. he somehow got endorsed by the union, even though he works for. A school choice group, which is an excellent school choice group, by the way, in Ohio called School Choice Ohio. It's a nonprofit group. It informs Ohio families about educational options. And the Columbus Education Association recently rescinded its endorsement of Mr. Raglan. Huh. They took a vote of no confidence uh. in his ability. Quote, he is actively trying to take money out of the pockets of our students. The president, uh, John, uh, John Coneglio, Coneglios, told the dispatch, taking money out of the pockets of our students. Really? The students? I think Dude. School Choice Ohio <laughs> is putting money in the pockets of the students. Yeah, they're taking, taking it, they're taking it from the buildings. That's the problem. The institutions. Yes. They anyway, messed that up. I, the, the reason it's funny is I just think to myself, who got fired? Who who actually at the union accidentally endorsed this guy in the first place? God. I'm wondering if that person probably needs a new job. They must um, they must have real you know figured like oh it's a board member they must be on the side on our side right i guess yeah. maybe school board members or board of education members are more likely to be in favor of the monopoly i don't know the I data on that so, but i don't know why would they do that he sneaked through someone didn't know that there was someone like eventually found him in a news story or something or googled him wait a minute he's for <laughs> choice he's for parents having choice get him off of our recommended list <sighs> anyway all right so the whole thing, though, I talked at the very beginning of the show about how we were like returning soldiers. Ladies and gentlemen, Corey DeAngelis went to battle on behalf of us, all of those who believe in freedom and educational opportunity. One doctor, I'll say, Corey DeAngelis went to battle for us in a debate about whether pandemic pods foster inequality is that was that the debate subject yeah something like that um the formal resolution was to combat inequality we need to uh, have greater investments in the public schools so as not to accommodate the formation of pandemic pods a lot of people hear that and they're like what the hell you know does that even mean but yeah. most people would hear that and that think rolls like, the tongue, oh, they, they want more money they want more money to prevent families yeah. from doing pandemic pods because pandemic pods you know, if, if if the public schools reopen and they, and they do a great job in the public schools, then then families wouldn't pursue pandemic pods was the main theory that I got from this resolution. I argued against it and argued that throwing more money at the problem doesn't work. Instead, we should fund students directly and allow that money to follow the child to wherever they're getting an education, public, private, whatever, charter school, uh, homeschool or uh any other type of option. So and anyone can watch the entire debate on YouTube, but to whet the appetite of random assignment viewers and listeners, we have this single number on that and try to say like, this is like a Walmart. I, I, I don't want to go send my daughters to a school that's like black Friday and people are like mobbing each other to get the best product. I don't, I don't want a teacher who's paid as much as a greeter. And I love the greeters at Walmart. Don't get me wrong, but they're underpaid and, and they're honestly are not insured properly. I don't want to send my school, my kids to a Walmart. And even I've heard before, like a Trader Joe's or something. Okay, well then it's a grocery that's in a gentrified white area and you're limiting the choice. So I, I think that there, you know, a better analogy than food stamps and Walmart, that's not the school that I'm talking about. That's not the school that historically we're talking about. And quite frankly, in this pandemic, we're talking about safe spaces for our students. Oh yeah, yeah. okay, you just went uh, nine seconds over, so we're all fine. Uh, but. Uh, Thanks. Uh, thank you, John. And um, uh, then uh, hold on a second. I've got to clear this. And um, so, Corey, you've got a uh, five minute rebuttal. Uh, take it away, Corey. Cool. Thank you so much, uh, John, uh, for going over the rebuttal points. I, I, I would still like to know how much more investment is needed in the traditional public school system. And I know it's really difficult to come pin down a, a, a number, but this is the argument that's made over and over again over the past few decades is we need a little bit more money. We'll, we'll do better this time. We promise we need a little bit more money. And we've increased every single decade on the U.S. on the national average 
per pupil expenditures after adjusting for inflation since 1960, it's increased by 280%. So I, I really would like a number. I'm, I'm giving people a number. I'm saying it's 80% of what they would have gotten in the traditional public school system. And that's another benefit of my proposal that it's, there's more certainty. You don't have to do all this guesswork. And it's not something that we've tried a million uh, times before. Uh, and I wanted to just clarify really quickly with the Walmart analogy. I'm not saying schools are Walmarts. That's why I also try to uh, put in the analogy of pre-K programs and Pell Grants, which those are uh, educational institutions where the money goes to the family and the family has a choice in the matter. And a lot of the people who do not like uh, uh, K through 12 having the funding follow the child uh, will support pre-K uh, funding following the child and Pell Grant funding follow the child, which the only reason I can kind of conjure up as to why you would be for one and not the other is there's an entrenched special interests in protecting the status quo when it comes to K through 12 education, whereas in pre-K and and in higher ed, the, uh, the default is more choice and more freedom already. And we already have systems where people can take their money to uh, particular institutions. Um, I just want to get uh, re re respond to a couple of points. John Hill pointed out that 50, 51 million students choose to attend public schools in the United States. They don't make that choice. They make that choice because it's uh, that's the only choice that they have and they don't they can't afford to pay twice to pay for a private school out of pocket for, while paying for the traditional public school um, through the property tax system. If people had the choice, many more would choose private schools and pandemic pod options. Um, and I think John Hill understands this because he said this in his uh, recent podcast where he believes that uh, allowing the money to follow the child would be a quote, devastating blow to the public school system. Why would it be a devastating blow to the public school system? It's, it's an admission that when people are given the option, there won't be 90% of kids in traditional public schools. They'll go somewhere else because they like the alternative options, even when they're given less money than what is spent on them in the traditional public school system. Uh, I also want to point out. Uh, okay. And by the way, let me just tell everyone, Corey DeAngelis won that debate. The way it's graded is which uh, debater uh Get, increases the support over time. More, in other words, they survey people at the beginning of the debate and then who convinces either undecided people or changes somebody's mind. Whoever does that better is the winner of the debate. So the, your opponent uh, only increased five points, I believe, in terms of percentage. And you, Corey, increased how many, how many points? I forgot, like a lot more. 30. 30. 30, there you go. So it was 30, 30 to five in terms of the, the persuasion increase. So. There we go. Thanks, Bob. Doing us, doing us, doing us fine. Doing the, doing the movement. Uh, uh, a solid, Doctor DeAngelis. There. So there you have. Yeah, it. Bob. Bob, you had a Soho Forum debate too, and you had a killer uh, finish. Should we play that too, or are we? All right, we can wrap up that? with that. We can All wrap right, up yeah, with that. I, I, every time I watch this killer finish from Bob's uh, debate, like three, <laughs> it was, very three years style, ago, yeah. gets gets me pumped. Ago. Gets me pumped up. Okay. Check it out. 59% of black American males graduate from high school, and those are our countrymen. And I say enough of this system. It's hurting millions of kids. Enough with the U.S. scoring 37th in the world in math. Enough with 34% of our kids proficient in reading, according to the NAEP. Enough with using money, uh, enough with taking money out of the pockets of teachers, whether they like it or not in 25 states, enough with teacher tenure being spun as due process, when we all know what it really is, near infinite process, enough with paying a great, brilliant, hard-to-find AP math, physics, or chemistry teacher less than a terrible teacher because the terrible teacher has one added year of seniority, which is crazy. Enough claiming with the school choice movement is that it's really about greedy, nefarious billionaires. When individual parents make a choice for a charter or a voucher school, and they don't make one penny when they make that choice. That's the reality of it. And enough with saying school choice programs are taking money from the beleaguered poor district schools as if the charter and voucher schools broke in through a bathroom window at two in the morning and stole it from the district as if the district made that money and it's theirs. It's not. It's taxpayer money paid, paid to get children educated in the most efficient way possible. And so I say enough with what the system is wrought. It's a bloated big brother top down job-protecting, money-wasting, politician-bribing, parent-ignoring, child-indoctrinating, 
modernization-resistant, one-size-fits-all hegemonic cartel, which traditionally uses children as props to protect teachers' jobs, which is terrible for good teachers, because they are treated like cogs in the collective. And the next time a 10th grade girl is crying to me on camera about, about, the fact that, about the fact that she's viciously and relentlessly bullied every day and no one has done anything about it, instead of worrying about her suicide, I want to tell her about a new school choice program that will, to use her term, give her a second chance at life. Because she doesn't have to be a statistic, and just because she's in a school that's zoned with relatively good scores, she doesn't have to be a victim anymore. Thank you. <laughs> Woo! Go Bob! All right, thanks. I appreciate that, Corey. Well, yeah, well, that was a, a callback from three years ago. But yeah, I had longer hair then, I guess. Um, anyway, so that's it, everybody. We've, we've wasted yet another hour of your precious time with random assignment. Anything you want to add, Corey? You look like you're, you're, you got your thinking cap on. You're going to say well, something. I was just thinking, like, is there anything that we forgot? I mean, no, I think we, we covered it all, and uh, we've already gone over six minutes. But, yeah, it's been another great uh, week of random assignment. Um, sorry, everybody, for uh, not being here last week. I had to do I this uh, debate. But, yeah, I, I put in the comments the full debate video if you want to go check it out i highly recommend it uh, but yeah it's an hour and a half you just saw a couple of minutes there in the preview all right thanks everybody we'll see you next week <laughs>